I want you to think about the things that you thought were true, but later learned were not. I want you to think about the things you were taught in school that you believed, and then you discovered that your education failed you. So I'm gonna go first. I grew up with this rhyme that in 1492, he sailed the ocean blue. Of course, we're talking about Christopher Columbus. I went to Catholic schools, and I learned in junior high school, or I guess they would call it grade school, at Our Lady of All Souls, and I might have learned it before then, but I don't even know when I learned it. It just always was present that Christopher Columbus discovered America, and we codified it with a holiday. So Columbus Day, we celebrated it. We got off of school, and they had a parade, and of course, my little mind believed that. There are statues all over the world, all over the country, in America, that celebrate Christopher Columbus. As a matter of fact, his holiday and George Washington's birthday were the two first federal holidays that America, that America actually celebrated. So that's something that until adulthood, I held on to that. Now, somewhere maybe in college, maybe it was in high school, I learned about a guy named Amerigo Vespucci, an Italian explorer, a cartographer who actually sailed Portugal around 1501, 1502, and he demonstrated that Brazil and the West Indies were not Asian Eastern outskirts, as Columbus said, but that they were separate on a separate continent described as the New World, and in 1507, the new continent was named after him, America, after Amerigo Vespucci. But I never was taught that there were people there, we call them Indians, of course, but that they actually, you can't discover a place where people are. Like no educator ever said, how does one discover a place where there are thousands of people, excuse me, millions and millions of people, but for thousands of years, established community and practices and architecture and history and you go on and on and on. How do you sail someplace, put a flag and say you discovered it? That didn't come until later for me to have that intellectual discourse with myself and then with others. But if we think about this education system, and I'm bringing it up because the miseducation of the Negro, but that could be the miseducation of everyone, and I think it should be, and I don't care what background you come from, please read this book because you should challenge everything you were taught because history is not, is not like science. History is not like math. History is ever-changing as we learn more. And we have to discover <laughs> the truth, which is, you know, it's there. It's there for us if we put the pieces together, right? Scientifically and like engineers, start putting the pieces together and you'll discover some things. Like I just discovered in the last decade that the size of Africa, which every map I just recently traveled. I know y'all, I'm going to do it. Come with me. I traveled to Africa. And on the plane ride, I was on Delta. You know, they have a map of your trip. And you get to see, you know, where you are during the course of the trip. And they show you all of the countries as you uh, cross the Atlantic. And then you go to Africa. And Africa's about the same size as India on Delta's map. Delta, do better. Africa is five times bigger than what the cartographers, I'm going to blame Amerigo Vespucci for this, said it was. So you imagine that India, the United States, China, Europe can all fit inside the continent of Africa, 50-something-plus countries. Think about that. 
Think about the enormity of it. And, and having stepped foot on the continent, having to take an airplane to one part of Ghana to the next part of Ghana, because it's that big that, you know, the roads were bad, but we also, the drive would have been long, right? You think about that. You know, we, we cross this country if you, you know, take an airplane and it takes, you know, maybe five, six hours. Um, but to go to South Africa, to go from Ghana to Nigeria can take 10 hours. You know, uh, to, to go from Ghana to South Africa can take 10 hours. Let me just be more specific, right? And so you think about that, right? How large is Africa? So then you have to ask the question, and that's this, this exercise, we're going to do a book club discussion. It's going to be live uh, the fourth week, the fourth Sunday, actually, in February 2020. If you're listening to this afterwards, you might have missed it, but it'll probably be sitting on, on YouTube permanently. But I'm having this discussion because we have to ask better questions, and we have to be, we have to be purposeful. Healthy, wealthy, and wise. And the healthy part requires that you move your body. We're going for 10,000 steps on average a day, and Bomba socks will help you on your way. Yes, I did that. Okay, listen, poly cotton blend, lightweight, which means no matter how hard you work out, your feet will stay cool, dry, and comfortable, never sweaty. Bomba socks provide support in places you didn't even know you needed, like your arches. Each sock is built with a special art support system that's supportive, but not too tight, like a nice hug, but on your foot, a foot hug. And of course, if you're pounding the pavement or the treadmill or on the bike, the socks can bunch up, not Bombas. They are designed with a left-right contouring and a wide stitch heel so they stay perfectly in place. And what's really cool about this is every pair you buy, Bombas will donate a pair to someone in need. And it's the number one most requested item in homeless shelters, socks. So Bombas was created to make sure that people who are in need get socks and people who are working out have the best socks they could possibly have. So go to bombas.com slash Karen today, 20% off your first purchase, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Karen, 20% off. That's bombas.com slash Karen. With knowledge and truth seeking, and all of us have to participate in it. And as we raise our children, that also has to be part of it. I just learned that it is a federal law, it is a law and mandate that African-American history has to be part of the school system, has to be part of the education system, yet very few districts are in compliance. And I've recently met with a black city and they said we're not in compliance because we can't find a program, well, it's not that we can't find a program, it's a priority for them because they're a black city raising up black children but the curriculum, what does that look like? What does an African-centric or black-centric curriculum look like? And how do we systematize it? That's going to be my, my whole mission, not my entire mission, but part of a mission that I'm challenging myself and you guys who are listening, who are actual educators, to come up with, right? But it starts with where we're miseducated. So I want you to just think about the things that you were taught, that you believe, that now you know, now you know for sure, for certain. Not an opinion, not a feeling or emotion, but you know for certain it's not true. Christopher Columbus did not discover America. At best, he discovered the quote-unquote West Indies, but he can't discover a place where people already existed. What we know for sure is that he gathered up some uh, 20, perhaps, of those human beings that were living there freely and, and, and put them in bondage. And he started the transatlantic slave trade because he brought them back as gifts. Who brings human beings back as a gift? Christopher Columbus. 
So we now know he's not a hero, but definitely a villain. We also know that Africans sailed the ocean blue way before Columbus, and there's a whole bunch of books out there. Uh, one says they came before Columbus. That's an actual book that you can uh, definitely use as a breadcrumb. But there, there are more and more historians, real legitimate historians, who are taking up this mantle, and I'm, I'm going to feature a lot of them, not just on this channel, but on my, my SiriusXM radio show, because I think it's important that we set the record straight. So not only do I now know that Africa is five times larger than what I was taught in school, I also know for a fact that Christopher Columbus was a villain, not a hero. Now, what do we do with that knowledge? We spread it and we make sure that our children come up in a world where not only do they see themselves because we are purposeful about injecting and, and, and putting into the lexicon, into the history files, real stories about contributions of people who are not just European. The world didn't start with Europe at all, as a matter of fact. And the world didn't start with Egypt either. Egypt had to come from somewhere and what I'm learning the more that I talk and travel and explore and think is that things don't happen in a vacuum. You need those breadcrumbs and you need uh, the foundation to be set before you can build on it. And there needs to be a cornerstone and there needs to be a layer of, of, you know, that you can actually build on top of that foundation so that you can get to a place. No one gets to a place in a vacuum. So even as we talk about Carter G. Woodson, which we're going to talk about, and the miseducation of the Negro, that was a, a process. So Carter, Carter G. Woodson was born in Virginia. He was born in Virginia in 1875. Both of his parents were, were enslaved, both of them. They were both illiterate, of course, because it was illegal for a person in bondage to know how to read. Process that. As people talk about the illiteracy rate in black neighborhoods, if you think about for two, 300 uh, years that it was on the books illegal, punishment was very severe to teach a black person to read. But if you were caught as a black person with reading material, it could mean death. It could mean being sold down the river. It could, could mean being blinded so that you could never see those letters and you could never teach another person. So you have to ask yourself, how powerful is education? How powerful is education that a system of bondage knew that the only way, one of the main ways that it could survive two, 300 years is to make sure that those people in bondage could remain illiterate. It started from the slave ships. As I was in Accra and I went to the to the uh, Cape Coast, and I went to the Elmira, Elmina, Elmina Castle, the, and, and as I stood in the doorway of no return, I, I imagined the thousand bodies that were held in these horrific conditions, in these, in these, they call them dungeons, but they were above ground dungeons, with very little air circulation, very little sunlight, but held until they got to that thousand number to put on that ship, because those thousand bodies were insured right? But seven out of 10 of those bodies died in those horrific conditions while they waited sometimes up to three months to get to the thousand because if seven out of 10 are dying, you're losing more bodies than you're able to preserve to get to the thousand number. Process that for a second. 2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. 
But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And think about why, right? Because you need to have on that ship, because this is what they learned, right? People who can't communicate with one another. Why? Because people who can communicate can hatch plans. And if they can communicate in a language that you don't understand, you are subject to a mutiny. We saw that with the Amistad. So they had to bring people in from the interior of the continent, the largest body of land anywhere in the world, Africa, Bodies walking miles, tens of hundreds of miles, some of them, to get to this. This was the, one of the largest ports to export human capital, literal capital, being traded on auction blocks, right? So you think about the mixture of who the, the 600 men and the 400 women, they had to not be able to communicate. Then you come and you bring them to a land where you miseducate them. You make sure they don't really know how to read for sure, or to write for sure, but also how to, how to talk. So whether we're talking about Jamaica or Haiti or America, the, the Gullah, the Geechee in South Carolina and all throughout this country, black folks have their own, they call it Ebonics. And now, you know, I used to look down my nose at Ebonics, right? But if you think about Ebonics, it's a way of communicating that is unique to us, but also developed out of a necessity to communicate without people necessarily knowing what we're saying. Now they're, you know, on fleek and all that, they take our language and they make it popular as well as our Bantu braids and knots and all of these other things, right? But the reality is it was on purpose to keep people miseducated, keep people ignorant, keep people uh, to, to be limited in their ability to communicate because they knew that these folks were smart. Hell, look, Look at, look at what they brought over, artisans and builders and folks that knew how to cultivate the land, right? Clearly, they weren't stupid, but if you keep them from being able to communicate and you make it against the law, punishable by death in some, some instances, how much are you going to run towards a book? And if you're raising children that don't belong to you because they don't belong to you, your goal as a parent is survival, in this horrific, brutal system that literally forced people into evolution within a generation. And you can listen to, have a whole series on the half has never been told. I didn't put the book on this reading list because I've been talking about it for four years. And if you aren't up on that book, oh well, but there are shades of what I learned from that book that will be in, injected into our book club discussion. But it is super important that we understand what miseducation is. So I want you to, again, think about the things that you were taught in school that you now know are not true. And then I'm going to challenge you to hold everything up against the light, right? So if you, if you learn that, you know, the world basically began with, uh, with Europe 
or Egypt, then what are you missing? How much education are you missing? And how did Egypt come about? Then you have to study the Nubians, right? And, and then as you follow the breadcrumbs, it will take you down a path to understand how civilization was, was formed and how people borrowed and stole from one another, which is the Greeks were unabashed in doing that, right? So we know Socrates stole his philosophy from Africa. Why do we know that? Because it was foreign to the Greeks, what he was talking about. They didn't understand. If it were germane to them, he wouldn't have had to die. But he was introducing something new that he had learned someplace else. And we got to keep going with this because the goal is for everyone to be educated. And the goal, more importantly, is for you to know yourself through truth and facts. Right? So Carter G. Woodson's, both of his parents, born in bondage, couldn't read. His father, of course, helped out during the Civil War. What enslaved person wouldn't? He was a carpenter and a farmer. He, uh, Carter G. Woodson, of course, couldn't go to school because they had to work to eat, literally. So you imagine slavery's over. There's no incentive for anybody to feed you, to clothe you, to make sure that you had a roof over your head. And worse than that, now it's really brutal. In Virginia and below, <laughs> it's really brutal because now there's an anger and a bitterness because people had to literally fight for your freedom, even though it was more about the Industrial Revolution being spread and it's about the, the, the curbing of the power of the wealthy uh, landowners and the planter class who didn't fight, by the way. But if you had to fight for what you think are, you know, to, to free slaves, and I'm putting up air quotes, then you're super angry at those black people. You hate them. And if you've never owned a person, yet you lost brothers, and because it was the most brutal war this country has ever seen. More people lost their lives in that war than I think World War I and II combined, right? Americans. You really hate them. And then they have a nerve to build towns that are thriving and powerful and wealthy, how dare they want to sit at a lunch counter? This is even before that, right? But think about, we talk about Rosewood and Greenwood and Eatonville and all of these towns that just, hmm, how did they pop up? Well, who was building the country? Hello? Who was clearing lands and tilling the fields? So you had to create, what, sharecropping, new slavery, and all this other stuff, right? So at the end of the day, you, you understand the climate and the temperature of a country, right? So Carter G. Woodson had to work because his family, no, nobody was trying to hire anybody black. So black people had to figure it out. At 17, he finally was able to go to school. At 17, he wanted to attend. There was a new secondary school for blacks. Um, so he got to go there, but then he had to work again because the family needed to eat. So he became a coal miner. And he devoted just a little bit of time to schooling. Most of his time was in the coal mines. Carter G. Woodson, Carter Godson Woodson, did not officially go to school full-time until he was 20 years old. 20 years old. He went to high school. Now you think about that. There's some people right now who don't want to read. You know, and I want to encourage you, if you have somebody in your life who, you know, they're not into reading, encourage them to join this live book club because I think it's important for us to, to, to do these things together. Reading on your own is not fun. And I can't imagine reading among a bunch of people who, who can't read, you know, and, and you're super smart and you pick things up and the teacher has to go at the speed of the slowest person in the class and all that other stuff. But Carter G. Woodson, once his, his thirst for knowledge was awakened, he could not be stopped. So he went to high school at 20, then went to college Right. He and he was teaching while he was going to school. So, you know, let me I, I taught um, grammar 
in Harlem for three years, right, when I was at the Daily News. I, I got up every Saturday morning and I taught a group of uh, Harlem kids as part of a program called Legal Outreach, which is really a dope project. Um, and I, I learned that I didn't know grammar because I skipped to seventh grade when grammar apparently was taught. And so there were a lot of grammar rules that I, I didn't know. And still to this day, that's one of my sore spots, uh, ironically, 30 books in and a uh, writing career, right, <laughs> as, a, as a journalist. But uh, I used to have books in my, in my drawer at, at the Daily News to help me with things that I may struggle with, right? Because there's no shame in that. The knowledge is there is my point. So I didn't allow my insecurity around my grammar to stop me from being a great writer. As a matter of fact, I, I leaned into it. And one of the turning points for me was teaching. Teaching these high school kids on Saturdays really gave me a foundation, a great foundation, because I was learning as I was teaching. So Carter G. Woodson was going through that as well. And then he went to the University of Chicago, where he got a, a, a degree. And then he became a member of Sigma Phi, Sigma Pi Phi, shout out to them, and also a member of Omega Psi Phi. He was not discriminating. He wanted to be a part of everything. Then he completed his degree at Harvard. He became the second behind W.E.B. Du Bois to earn a doctorate. And in his dissertation, which was called The Disruption of Virginia, he based his research on stuff that he learned at the Library of Congress while he was teaching in D.C. And his whole entire life became about undoing the miseducation. He ended up joining the faculty at Howard University, HBCU, and served there as dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, but he was committed. And when he opens the book, he talks about his 40 years, 40 years of study to, to write this miseducation of, of the Negro, 40 years of study to understand how miseducated we are. So I haven't put nearly as much time in it at all, and this is, to me, is just a scratching of the surface, and as I mentioned quite frequently, what I, intend to do is to drop as many breadcrumbs down for people to go in on on their own searching journey because the truth of the matter is a true education can only be fostered when you when iron sharpens iron when you when you clash or you connect with other people who may see a thing differently you get to broaden your view on things and that's the p purpose of this book club so i just want to thank everyone uh, for taking the time, and over the next couple of podcasts, I'm going to delve a little bit deeper into some of the themes and, and, and ideas that I see in the miseducation of the Negro, and I welcome you guys to follow me on Twitter, at Karen Hunter, follow me on Twitter, at Karen Hunter, use the hashtag podcast, so I can see what you're talking about, and let's build this community of people who want to no longer be miseducated, all right? I appreciate your support. Share this podcast and also follow my YouTube channel. Actually, subscribe to it at Karen Hunter Show on YouTube because that's where we're going to be convening. And I'm going to be doing some other interesting things like live chatting periodically as well starting uh, soon. So stay tuned for that. All right, y'all. Appreciate you. Thank you. Till next time.